Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. We try to make our programs relevant and timely. Today's show hits that nail right on the head. We're calling it How to Dialogue with Those Who Disagree with You. And Dr. Jennings joins us via Skype to share his thoughts on the matter. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings, some guidance would be very helpful right about now. Yeah, so first thing to do if you're dialoguing with someone who disagrees with you is to establish with whom you're dealing. Hmm. Are you dealing first with a friend or an enemy? Hmm. If it's a friend, then the next thing under the element of friend, are they capable and willing and ready to learn? If they're capable and willing and ready, then you can enter into dialogue with them. Hmm. If they're a friend, but they're cognitively compromised, it's a friend who's suffering from Alzheimer's dementia. Yeah then there's no point in engaging in a dialogue. You just have friendly conversation, but you don't really get into that because they don't have the capacity to have that. They're capable and they're willing, but maybe they're not ready. Jesus said to his apostles, if you read in Acts, I have much to tell you, but you can't yet bear it. So they were friends, they were loyal, they were faithful, but they, they still had more preparation to be able to handle some of the things that Jesus wanted to share with them. Mm-hmm. So first establish, are you dealing with a friend? And if it's a friend, are they capable, willing, and ready to handle the conversation you'd like to have with them? And if they are, then we can go through some of the other elements that I'm going to share with you in a moment on that dialogue. But I want to deal with the enemy one. But you judge they're not a friend. They're an enemy. Well, remember, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend you asunder. Jesus did not enter into meaningful dialogue with the Pharisees that were constantly trying to trap him. He did not seek to talk to them like he spoke to his apostles. Remember, the Bible said he only spoke to them in parables. He used metaphors and simile and, and parables to teach his points because they did not want an honest dialogue. And if he spoke openly and clearly to them, they would turn it against him and attack him. And even with the parables, they often caught the message, and they tried to stone him on multiple occasions. And then Jesus said, if you go into a town to share the gospel and they don't want to hear it, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. So you have to assess, am I dealing with a friend or an enemy? If it's an enemy, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rest your center. Move on to people who are actually willing to hear what you have to say. If it's a friend, though, capable, willing, ready, then engage in the dialogue. So now we've got a friend who's capable, willing, ready. Next thing to do is define the landscape of the conversation. In the landscape of the conversation, are we talking about God to a person who believes in God? Are we talking about someone who is an atheist and doesn't believe in God, but they're a friend and they are genuinely, or they're agnostic, they don't know and they have questions, but they don't believe in God? The landscape of the conversation needs to be defined, at least in your mind. What are you talking about? Where are they coming from? Get a sense of their perspective. What are their presuppositions? What are their assumptions? Now, if you're talking to a person that believes in God, but they believe different things about God than you believe, then the landscape that I like to define is a platform that seems to be a demarcation. And no matter if we can't come to agreement on this, it doesn't matter what specifics in the land of theology we talk about, we will always disagree. And this question is one of the foundation questions. Once I realize I'm dealing with a friend or at least a honest, friendly person who is willing to have an honest dialogue, I establish how do you understand God's law? 
Do you understand God's law functions like human law, a system of made-up rules that require judicial oversight and enforcement through punishment? Or do you understand God as creator and his laws are like the laws of health, the law of gravity, the laws of physics? They're the protocols upon which reality work. Most Christians, the vast majority of people who believe in God, accept the lie that God's law functions like human law. They may have different specific laws, Mm -hmm. but the way it functions, it's rules that the lawmaker gave us that he enforces through punishment. And somebody has to be punished, and he sent Jesus and punished Jesus, and if you accept that punishment, you get payment in a legal registry, and you get declared legally righteous. This whole system is fraudulent based on a false idea of law. So if you can't actually bring them about to see God's law as design law, then it doesn't matter what topic, atonement, forgiveness, it doesn't matter what topic you're talking about, they will be defining it under imperial law, human law, while you're defining it under how reality works, design law, and you'll come to two completely different conclusions. So I always start with that as a foundation base of who I'm dealing with. And then after you do that, mm-hmm. you might need to have some discussion about the methods your friend uses to determine what's true. How do you know, regardless of what the topic is, whether something's true or not? What is your method for doing that? Some people, my method, our method is a, a prayerful integrative evidence-based approach. God is the creator of all reality, and he's given us three threads of evidence, scripture, science, and how life works, life's experiences. And we want God to enlighten our minds to see how his reality works as recorded in scripture, science, and real-life experiences. And so we want truths that harmonize in all three. That's one way. Not everybody uses that way. There are those who use declaratives, proof text. I find a Bible text that says it, and if it says it, I believe it, and that settles it, and I don't ask any more questions. That's my method. Others use a ruling authority. Well, I go to my pastor or priest, or I wait for an encyclical to come out from the Vatican, and if they rule on it, then then that ruling authority, that that's how I know what's true. Others uh, use their feelings. Why? Well, I, I, I just go by what I feel. If that doesn't feel right to me, then it's not true for me. Others pray, but they pray not for wisdom to discern and understand. They pray for a warm, burning bosom for the Holy Spirit to give them a conviction, and they wait for the feeling change of of the Spirit to tell them what's true without actual evidence or truths to be presented. Hmm. And so if you're dealing with people who approach truth in a different way than you do, even though you may present persuasive evidentiary truth, they won't be persuaded if they don't approach their decision-making and conclusions in the same way you do. So you may have to have that conversation first. Witnessing is how we live our lives, and we live our lives with integrity, honesty, loyalty, mm. faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, meekness. We present the truth and love. We leave people free. So one aspect of witness would be in this whole process, one of the things we always want to do is give the person time to consider, present the truth and love, leave free, create an atmosphere where they know that even if they still disagree with you, you will love them as your friend and you will care for them as a human being. And your appreciation for them is not dependent upon them agreeing with you. You're not going to be mad at them if they don't. So that is a way you witnessing to them in the demeanor and the attitude you hold as you have these conversations. But that is also an important methodology because you're applying God's methods, present the truth and love, and we leave people free. Let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. Other approaches would be to come to understand potential authoritative resources that person may hold. For instance, Bible for a person who believes in Jesus, science for an atheist, and find evidences that 
confirm the truths you're trying to present that are revealed in the authoritative sources this person recognizes and bring those evidences forward from those authoritative sources. Bring the person to a decision point if you can. Create cognitive dissonance. In other words, present a question or a circumstance that their current viewpoint would cause them to be uncomfortable applying. Mm. Mm. And then search for the cognitive dissonance, a belief they have about something that should be done, for instance, but then if they were to apply it, it it would require them to act in this way, which they'd be uncomfortable doing and create some cognitive dissonance, if you can. Some aspect of their view that doesn't fit with reality as they understand it. Classic one, God is love. All he wants is your love. But... If you don't love him, he'll burn you in hell for all eternity. Yes, yes. Okay, that's cognitive dissonance. That doesn't add up. Try that on your spouse. I love you, sweetie, but if you don't love me, I'm going to pour gas on you and burn you till you die. Mm. God loves you so much more than me. I can only burn you for a few minutes. God can burn you for all eternity. That's how much he loves you. (laughs) You see, that doesn't make sense at all. But people who hold to the eternal burning hell view will also claim they believe in a God of love, but they're contradictory. You can't really hold both of those simultaneously and have them be true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then ask them to share back with you what they've heard you say so that you have at least some confidence, whether they agree or not, that they've actually heard you rather than a lot of times in conversations, people, you think they've heard you, but they actually have concluded you said something different than what you really said. Interesting. So clarification. So that's just a general overview of what we can do with people. How do we train ourselves to be that way? You just you just outlined a, a, a seminar on how to dialogue with people. How do we begin? Where, where's the easy way for us to pick up on this thing and run with it? It requires you, the individual, to have some confidence in your understanding of reality and uh, be a lover of truth. Mm-hmm. If you're a lover of dogma, if you're a lover of doctrine, if you're a lover of your fundamental belief or your creed or your systems of theology, then you will be threatened by anyone who questions what you believe. But if you're a lover of truth and you know that truth loses nothing by investigation and inquiry and the more evidence that comes to bear, the more clear the truth shines forth, then you can be quite at peace with people questioning you and you're not threatened. You invite it and you're willing to have those dialogues. But if you hold beliefs for which you currently don't really know why you believe them yourself, you can't explain them or they really don't make sense to you, you're just supposed to have faith and hold them, then you can't comfortably have this type of dialogue, it will make you irritable or angry or frustrated because people will question you in ways that you can't explain. But it is okay not to explain everything. If somebody asks you a question you can't explain and you're a lover of truth, you'll simply say, you know, that's a really great question. I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to go home and I'm going to investigate. I'm going to think about that and see if I can't come up with a, an answer to that question. I've not considered that question before. 
You don't have to be threatened by a question you can't answer, and it doesn't mean you have to know them all. But if you love the truth, you won't be threatened by a question that you currently can't answer either. And I like that because truth is maturing. It grows. It, it, it doesn't change. You allow yourself to understand it deeper and deeper and deeper as you go along. It's the same truth, though. Am I, am I right saying that? So truth, eternal truths never change. Our understandings of them may evolve and develop. So it's true that, for instance, a child brushes their teeth and it's healthy for them to do so, but a child may do it because mommy has a rule. Mm -hmm. And it's true they're supposed to do it, but their reasons for doing it may involve, and ultimately the truth that they do it to keep their teeth healthy and keep them from decaying may actually turn out to overturn or uh, make the rule unnecessary or even false. Well, the reason we brush our teeth is because mommy has rules. Well, that actually really isn't true when you're a college student. That's true. So not every truth is true for every stage of our life. It was true that when I was four, I brushed my teeth because mommy had a rule. It's not true I brushed my teeth because mommy has a rule when I'm 20. But the truth that remains in both of those circumstances is brushing your teeth helps your teeth. It protects your teeth. In yeah. God's reality, it's still yeah. true, yeah. but not in the mind of the four-year-old. Got it. I remember a text uh, someplace in the Bible that says we need to be fully persuaded. Is that what we're talking about? We need to really understand our limitations, and we need to be fully persuaded that the truth is out there. God's truth is what we're aiming for. Am I right in saying that? That is right. Romans okay. 14, 5. Okay, very every good. Per- let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. All right. Listener, we have a website for you. This program is sponsored by Common Reason Ministries, and their website, commonreason.com, is just chock full of resources for you to, uh, to enjoy. And Dr. Jennings makes some of these resources available to you at no charge. That's comeandreason.com. You'll have to go there and find out which one of the resources are available. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's a sharing track. It's always good stuff to enjoy and put into your life and build that truth basis that you have. And I love the fact that Dr. Jennings has shown us now how to dialogue with those who disagree with us. And we are centering ourselves on the truth and we are building that truth in our hearts. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us. We appreciate it today. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.